My parents um, joined the church, I want to say in like 90, maybe 92, 91 when we, when we moved here. Really fell in love with the church and um, as did my dad and my mom pretty instantly got connected into teaching and they really just lived out what they believed. We were here every Sunday and I started school here, was here all the way through my senior year. And I have the best memories here. I fell in love with children's ministry at a young age. I got baptized when I was eight. I remember putting my handprint on the wall and it was red. And I really found of course, at a young age, didn't know to call it community, but I found community early on. It just felt like family um, and has always felt like family. And so now for to be able to bring my children, you know, here is so full circle. And my husband grew up going to church here. It's pretty wild just to, to think about the impact that is con it's continuing to have on our family. Well, I'm invested personally in it with, you know, and having a daughter um, here and, you know, wanting what's, what's best for her and watching her grow, recognizing and looking back on the way that the Lord's paved the way for all of the generations and His faithfulness and His goodness, we can look forward with anticipation that, you know, He's going to do big things and we get to be a part of that to have Gracie now come through church and um, you know, hopefully in, in the nearest future, you know, come to know Jesus personally as her Lord and Savior and to see her baptized here, to see her get to put her little hand in paint and, and put it up on the wall, to see that here at Second Baptist at a place where it has quite literally left a mark on every season of my life would be just indescribable. I'm excited to, to see what the Lord has. Isn't that great? It's awesome. All right. Pretty soon we're all going to have the opportunity next few weeks to make our mark. Hey, so glad that you are here today. As you know, we are in a series. We just started this series on relationships, relationships. Whether you are single or married or somewhere in between or dating or wanting to date, it doesn't matter. We're talking about how we can improve the quality of our relationships. Now, relationships used to be easy. Do you remember that? Do you remember when relationships used to be easy? Do you? I do, in second grade. That's when they were easy. Before technology and match and all those things we have here today and texting and who knows what not, we had some really good technology. We had a way of relating with one another that I think is unprecedented. So in second grade, you would see someone across the room that you might like. And so the way you got their attention, the way you entered into a relationship with them was by this incredible piece of technology known 
as paper, right? You would reach in under your desk, try not to get your hand caught in the gum that someone had placed in there earlier, and you'd pull out a white piece of paper. Then you take another piece of technology that somehow has survived the test of time. You would take out a crayon. Crayon. Can you imagine if we had invested in crayons years ago? We would all be multimillionaires. But I didn't, so I preach. So you, <laughs> you get a crayon. A crayon. See the person you like. You get your crayons out. You look at the color, colors. There are many more colors. But of course, you're wise. This is all about love. You choose red. And this is the way, young people, I hope you're taking notes. This is the way your teachers and coaches and moms and dad, this is how they did it back in the day. They would write a note that would say something like this. Very, the note's very complex. It's very difficult to understand. I'm going to explain it to you in just a second. I didn't know it would take this long to write. It's kind of <laughs> pressure writing. Here we go. Almost there. Everybody calm down. All right. Stay. This is the reveal. Here's the note. I love you. Do you love me? Circle, yes or no. Now, this note, though it looks really simple, is pretty, as we say in Texas, pretty dang deep and profound when you think about it. And part genius, it's part genius. I didn't invent this note. I wish I did, kind of like invested in crayons. I didn't invent it, but I used it. And so think about this. I love you. That is a statement. That's a declaration of intent and desire, right? You see him? I love you. So statement. Then the next one, it's a question. Do you love me? And, and you want that love that you have to be reciprocated by the person you're sending this note to. Okay? And that's pretty bold, isn't it? You're kind of, think about the risk, right? Do you love me? And then, if you're in sales, you know the ABCs of sales always be closing and you give them the option, circle yes or no, and then later on, when you kind of got rejected a lot of times, you'd put, maybe. <laughs> Can we just be friends that we gave this? But yes or no was the original option, okay? And you didn't know. So you would take that note, remember? Fold it up, put their name on it, and then you'd go up to that person directly and said, here you go. No, it didn't happen like that, did it? You never went up to someone of the opposite sex directly back then. No, no, no. You went through another person. So you went through their manager, who was their best friend. <laughs> they would slip them the note, and then you had to sit 
through all those crazy classes in elementary school waiting for the answer at recess. And recess was either gonna bring you a time of rejoicing and great love, or it's gonna be a time of rejection and melancholy around the monkey bars. I love you, do you love me, circle, yes, or no. It was so easy back then. But as we get older, we go, we get into high school, we change from you know, a note to a poster, will you go to prom with me? So we advanced a lot since then. But relationships can often be dicey whether you're talking about romantic relationships, marriage, family, friends, it can be dicey and, and relationships are a great place for joy and love, but they're also a great place for pain and disappointment. And if you've lived long enough, like I have and some of you have in this room, you've experienced the great highs and the great Lows. But no matter where you are today, whether you're high or low when it comes to love and relationships, we still all have this yearning, this desire that started at a very young age, didn't it? To be loved and to love. To be loved and to love. Now, fortunately for us, the Bible has a lot to say to us about relationships, romantic relationships, marriage, divorce, you name it. The Bible says and tells us a lot about relationships. It's silent about some issues. It's not about these issues, which I'm glad because, hey, I'm a guy, I need help. So let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. We were there last week, and let's look at where our yearning, this desire for love, I love you, do you love, how this can be met and satiated. Look at this, 1 John 4, 7, John writes, I love this, dear friends, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Eureka, God calls you and me to love one another, to love one another. But this passage goes a little bit further, doesn't it? It says, if you say that you love God and know God, but you don't love other people, then you really don't know God. You're really not born of God. So love, how we love each other is a litmus test, if you would. It's proof as to whether or not we really have a relationship with God. And we're gonna talk about how that works itself out in the next several weeks. And we have the honor and privilege of having Gary Thomas with us. He's on our staff and he has been giving conferences on marriage and relationships for decades. So he's gonna be obviously a part of our series. But right now, let's look and see what this passage talks to us and reveals to us about this love. First of all, I think it's interesting that when you look at love from our perspective, for us, love is a verb. Can we do a little bit of English here today? Love is a verb. Love is an action. 
Love is something that you do. Oh, love is love. No, love is not love. Love is an action. When someone says, I love you, basically what they should mean is, I am committed to you. And I'm gonna show the actions to prove that. Love is not simply an emotion. Love is not simply an attraction. Love is something that we do. Love is an action verb. For God, love is a noun. Love is a noun. God is love. God defines what love is and what love is not. God sets the boundaries for love. And God's essence is love. Not the kind of love we've heard about growing up, the love that we've watched in the movies, the love that we've seen in our favorite Netflix series we've been binging, not the love that we hear about in all the pop music and rock music, not that kind of love. But God leads us and talks to us and shows us a type of love that's on a whole nother level. C.S. Lewis talks about the different types of love. There's eros, that's romantic love. There's phileo, that's friendship love. There's storge, that's another kind of love. And then there's agape. In the Greek, God's kind of love. God defines what love is. God is the source of love. If someone says they love you, they need to show that and demonstrate that by the way they live. Love is an action word for us. Love is a noun for God. God is love. He's the source of love. At the essence, at the heart of the universe and the world is the agape love of God. At the same time, and I'm very thankful for that, love is also an action word for God. It's a noun and a verb for God. So we all believe that God exists. God's existence is almost unarguable. We can look around us and look inside of us and know that there is a God, but is this God active? Does this God take action? If there is a God, is he a personal God or is he some type of force? No, he's a personal God. And he's a God who takes action. He is love in action. Look at 1 John again, chapter four, look at verse nine. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. This is how he showed us the love, show us the love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Listen, you're not designed to live your life solo. God's not calling you to enter into your relational world with your family and your marriage, with your friendships and your dating world to try to love someone in your own strength. No, he wants to love through you. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us and sent his son 
as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I love this again. Dear friends, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, except a couple of televangelists, but no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless, eternal, infinite, ineffable love of God. What's God's love like? We're trying to describe his love as we work through these passages in this series. We're trying to apply this love. We're trying to understand and grasp this love. What's God's love like? First of all, God's love we see here is a tenacious love. It's a tenacious love. It's a love that seeks us out. God loved us so much that he made this world. He made this creation. He fine-tuned the universe. He fine-tuned this planet that we could exist as human beings. That as human beings, we were designed and created and longing for this love. And God pursues us with this love. Even when Adam and Eve were screwed up and made a big time uh, wrong decision, took that path, caved into the temptation, God still pursued Adam and Eve through their disobedience and wanted to bring them back into a love relationship. And then God sends his prophets in the Old Testament. Then God chooses and shows his love to Israel. And then God finally, in the fullness of time, comes down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, his only son, pursuing us with a tenacious love. Even when we didn't know God from Godzilla, he was pursuing you with his love. Even before you made one little step into church or one little step towards God, or you were about to hit your knees, God's love was already there. He had already finished it, and he pursues us. Even in dark times, even in difficult times, with his tenacious, transcendent love. God's love is also tender. God loves us so much that he sent his son. His son laid down his life as a sacrifice and died for you and died for me. That's a tender, personal love. I wouldn't do that. I would not send my children to die for you, to die for anyone. Maybe our country, if they chose to volunteer to go into the the military or to the police academy or something. But I wouldn't as a father. God the Father sends his son Shows us his tender love, his sacrificial love for us. Also, God's love, as we talked about last week, is transformative. Once we begin to realize that there is a God, not only that there is a God, but this God loves me personally, warts and all, just as I am, with my shame and my guilt and all of my mess of my life and all of my sin, once I realize that his love cannot be earned, it cannot be lost, God loves me as is, that begins to change my life. It changes how I view God. It changes how I view others. It changes everything. Love is utterly transformative. 
changes the way we live and how we live and what we want to do and what we don't want to do. It's amazing. And this transformative love is constant. He pours his love through us. It says he wants to live in us and through us in verses 9 through 10. To live his life through us. To empower us to love others. And then we look at the cross. The cross is it's not, it's not decoration. It's not something that you wear. The cross is the ultimate symbol of the love of God. The tenacious, tender, transformative love of God. We see that at the cross as Christ dies a death that no one else could die. He lived a life that no one else could live. He rose again to prove that he was who he said he was and that we might be connected with this infinite, eternal, transformative love of God. One of the reasons that we don't have peace many times in our life is because we're not looking at Christ, we're looking at our sin and looking at our failures and looking inside of us instead of looking outside to what God has done for us in Christ. And he invites us into this love. He invites us into this love. It's the love of God. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's the love of God, the tenacious love of God that pursues us, that gives us hope for tomorrow and strength for today. love of God. How do we connect with the love of God? Because I want to know that I'm loved by God. I desire to know that God loves me, not intellectually or theologically, though theology is important. I want to also know his love primarily experientially and in my heart. Well, one of the ways we begin to start understanding God's love and to continue to understand God's love is by saying this. I'll just say it for me. Hi, my name is Ben, and I am a desperate sinner. That's where it starts. Hi, my name is Ben, and I have not loved God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I have sinned in many, many ways. All this before noon on Sunday. Have a nice day. I'm a sinner. I sin. I break God's laws. I've broken God's covenant. I have real shame, real guilt. I am broken and I need forgiveness and I need God's personal love. And I'll always need his love. But God loves me just as I am. 
God loves me right now. God knows who I am. God knows the sins I committed at 10 o'clock today. God knows the sins I'll commit years from now. And by the way, God's love and power is gonna give me the grace to break free from that and break the chains. At the same time, God loves us holistically. And he wants to start living a life based upon his love. And it starts by acknowledging the fact that we are sinners, we are needy, we are broken in front of him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a 20th century theologian and martyr for the faith, he said this, he said, the grace, it is the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the pious to understand. Pious people, people who are self-righteous, people who think that they have it all together and they figured it out and will cancel you. Um, that it confronts us with the truth and says, by the way, I don't want to live in a world where there's not forgiveness. Do you? Do you want to live in a world where there's not forgiveness? I don't want to live in that world. I'll know the message, I apologize. Back to Bonhoeffer. You are a sinner, a great and desperate sinner. Now come as a sinner that you are to a God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you, a sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone. That's awesome. He wants us and loves us as we are. And so my prayer for you today is the prayer for myself to allow God, if you would, to let love God love you right where you are. Just let God love you right where you are. Let him love you right where you are. Wouldn't it be great? You ever thought about this? Wouldn't it be great if God would kind of give you one of those love notes that I talked about in second grade? If God could write a personal love note to you with your name on it to tell you personally that he loves you and he still has a plan and purpose for your life? And wouldn't it be great if he sent someone to deliver that note to you that you might receive it and understand it? Oh, wait a minute. God has done that. He's done that. I've read that personal love note. A lot of you have too. For God so loved the world, I love you. That he gave his only son that whosoever, do you love me? would believe in him, would have everlasting life. Circle yes or no. God's already done it. God's written a love note with your name on it. How has he showed us the love? He spread his arms open wide. I love you, the cross, his arms are wide open. And you know what? God wants you to take out the crayon in your heart, if you would, and circle yes. Yes, yes. Corinthians says in 2 Corinthians chapter 
one, that all of God's promises are a yes to us, and we, that's why we respond with a yes. Listen, a love note like this already implies a yes on the other side. God has already said yes to you, yes to your life, yes to your forgiveness, yes to your restoration, yes that you can experience the love of God in Christ. God's already circled yes. Will you circle yes? Will you say, yes, I trust in his love. Yes, I believe in his love. Yes, I'm gonna lean upon his love and allow his love to mold and to shape my life and all of my relationships. He says, circle yes. Circle yes. Some of you have never really circled yes. You kind of know of God, maybe you went to church, you had some kind of religious background, but you've never really circled yes. Others of you, you have, a lot of you here have circled yes and say, man, I know what you're talking about. I've experienced this, this love of God personally that I cannot explain. And that's wonderful. But here's what I've, I've discovered in my life is that it's not just a one-time circle yes or check the box. No, I've got to go back. You know, go back into God's word, go back into prayer and to circle yes Again, to affirm and to say that I really trust that God still loves me. God is still in my life and he's loving others through me. Even when I may not feel love, I circle yes that God loves me. And I go back again and I circle yes again. And as I go through a trial and things are hurting and painful, I circle yes again. I believe God loves me. I circle yes again. I circle yes. I circle yes. I circle yes. I circle yes until I almost have that kind of red, waxy feeling over my little love note from God. As I'm going back to the cross, as I'm going back to his word, as I'm going back to prayer and saying yes Thank you, God, that you love me. Hi, my name is Ben. I am a desperate sinner. I don't want to be. I want to be set free. I want to know your love. And I know you've circled yes for me. God, help me to live from that yes of your love. Circle yes. Probably the greatest, the most influential theologian of the 20th century had to be Karl Barth, B-A-R-T-H, Karl Barth. And Karl Barth influenced both the Catholic side of the church and the Protestant side of the church. He wrote volumes and squillions of books and theological treaties. And at the end of his life, he actually preached in prisons in Basel, Switzerland. And he was a, a prolific man, a prolific writer. And toward the end of his career, he was touring the United States. And he had this big press conference where all this media was out in front of him. And he's behind the table and the microphone's right there. And one reporter asked him a question. and said, Dr. Bart, out of all the things that you've learned and heard and read, what is the greatest, most profound theological truth you've ever discovered? And without hesitation, Dr. Bart said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me, he loves you, yes, Jesus loves me. He loves you. 
and we can live from this love. He's already circled yes for you. Circle yes. And we'll all rejoice at a recess.